You're listening to audio from Shandon Baptist Church. If you'd like to check out more resources from us, please visit our website at shandon.org. What a gift it is to gather on this Christmas Eve and to praise the King of Kings. To celebrate what God has done for us at Christmas is a tremendous blessing. And we're so grateful to get to share this time together with you. So Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining us here on this Christmas Eve in the midst of such a strange season In the midst of such a challenging year, we are reminded at Christmas time that there is still good news. And there is good news that is available to you and to me and to all who are willing to receive it. And so it is our prayer that tonight would be a night where you would see very clearly the good news of what God has done for you. And so to that end, we turn our attention to the Word of God, and I would ask you to join me if you have a Bible with you. First, we'll be in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 9, and then we'll turn over to the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me, or if you have the Bible on your phone, on the Bible app, go ahead and pull that out, and let's look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to get us started here on this Christmas Eve. Over the last few weeks, we've been in Isaiah as a church, looking at some of the prophecy that Isaiah lays before the people of God hundreds of years before the Messiah would be born in the little town of Bethlehem. And in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we see what this Messiah would be called. And let me invite you, if you're willing and able, to stand with me here as I read this opening text of Scripture. We do this when we gather together at Shandon for the reading of God's Word so that we all can be reminded that the Word of God is the foundation of the people of God. The Word of God is what the church stands upon, what God says is right and good and true. And so if you're new to Bible study or if you're new to Shandon or even new to church here this evening, we want you to know that we stand on the word of God. We believe what the word of God says. And we turn our attention to what we believe God has laid before us. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. It says this. For to us a child is born. And to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And for our time together this evening, we're going to focus on the final small portion of this verse, the Prince of Peace. Do you know the peace of God? With that question in mind, let's pray together that God would speak into our lives in the power of his spirit as we turn our attention to his word. Let's pray. Father, standing before you on this Christmas Eve, it is a tremendous blessing in the midst of a very challenging year to have a moment to stop 
and to be reminded of what Christmas is really all about. And so I pray, Lord God, that you would have your way among us as we turn our attention to you on this Christmas Eve. I pray that you would speak very clearly through the power of your spirit into each of our lives. May our ears be open. May our hearts be receptive. And may you use this time for your glory. This is my prayer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you for standing. Well, as we turn our attention tonight to what the Bible calls the Prince of Peace, I realize that this is a time and this is a season and this is certainly a year where peace has certainly seemed hard to come by. Whether it's the issues that we've seen culturally and nationally, whether it's the virus that we've seen globally, whether it's the circumstances that you're walking through individually, this has been a challenging year for many in many forms. And peace for many has been a fleeting idea altogether. I realize you may even be here tonight with us thinking the idea of peace, that really is a naive idea. That that really sounds a little idealistic. I mean, after all, this is a challenging year as we've all been so clearly reminded the world is a dangerous, challenging place. And you may think based on the way your story has gone to this point that peace is just not a realistic dream or goal whatsoever. So I would just lay before you tonight this very simple question. Do you believe that peace is truly possible? Do you believe that peace is attainable? Can peace be a reality for your life in your story? For the headlines would say something different altogether. One of the headlines that caught my attention earlier this year It's exactly at the end of the summer, in the midst of all that was happening with the virus, in the midst of all that was happening with the civil unrest and the issues of injustice as it relates to race in our culture, as all of this was playing out, there was another news story that that was also uh, being seen, but not seen in a major way, especially where we live. It was a story of the wildfires out west. You may remember hearing about this. You may be surprised to know that this year, 2020, has been the most devastating year of wildfires on record. Over 8 million acres of land has been destroyed in California and Washington and Oregon through the wildfires that have been raging this year. And certainly that has brought about great devastation for those in harm's way. Certainly there has been a tremendous amount of loss of property and even loss of life at times. But there is a story that began to pop up later this fall as it relates to the damage of the fires in specific uh, forestry areas of California. One of the areas that was ravaged greatly was the Santa Cruz Forest. 
And the Santa Cruz forest is the home of some of the oldest redwood trees in the country. If you know anything about redwood trees, you know they're tall, massive trees. They are the oldest trees in North America, most scientists would say. And there began to be this concern that that some of these historic, ancient trees would be lost. And so scientists begin to quickly explain as the, the area of people living in that territory, in that, in that part of the country, were very concerned about these trees, that, that redwoods actually have this incredible ability to withstand a wildfire. In fact, the bark on the outside of a redwood tree is fire resistant. And on some of the biggest redwood trees, this bark is over a foot thick. And so these trees have survived the test of time. These trees have been able to withstand wildfires. And even today, as they look charred and dead, the scientists say that in just a short amount of time, in less than a year, these trees will begin to bud the evidence of new growth. New leaves will appear. New limbs will start to grow. What appears charred and destroyed will reveal life again very soon. There is a covering on these trees that protects them from the damage of the fire. And what does that have to do with tonight? Well, as we turn our attention to the celebration of the arrival of the Prince of Peace. The scripture here is reminding us that one has come, one has been born who offers the gift of peace to all who trust in him. And this gift of peace that is provided through the Prince of Peace is a peace that will cover the life of the one who receives it. And the flames of this world, the storms of this life will rage. And at times there will be charring, there will be what appears to be destruction, but the the peace will cover this life in such a way that, that it is able to weather the storm. I just wonder, do you know this peace? Do you know a peace that overrides circumstances? Do you know a peace that is at work and relevant and alive in you, even in the midst of challenging times? With this in mind, I want to turn our attention now to the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 2. For just a few moments together, I want to turn our attention to what the Apostle Paul writes about this peace and how this peace can be found. How this peace can become a reality in the lives of those who trust in him. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 13 and following says this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Now these verses cover a lot of ground. And these verses are laying before us the reason why we celebrate Christmas. The the, the reason why we celebrate Christmas is God has come to dwell among men. His name is called Emmanuel. His name is called the Prince of Peace. He has come to us. But to truly understand this good news that we would call the gospel... You must first understand what these verses communicate as bad news. For to truly understand and appreciate the good news, you must recognize that there is bad news. What is the bad news? Well, it's right here in this scripture in Ephesians 2. The bad news is that apart from Jesus Christ, you and I and everyone among us are far off from God. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are far from peace. We are far from God. This is true of every single one of us. And the scripture here is showing us that the gospel levels the playing field. Each and every one of us are far from being right with God. You see, the scripture is saying there's really no such thing as living a life that is good enough to be acceptable to God. You may live better than your neighbor. You may live better than the guy down the street. You may live better than some in your family. But in the sight of a holy God, we all are far off. And so these verses are reminding us you're either far off in your own effort and in your personal attempts to be right with God, or you have been, as the scripture says, brought near by Christ. For it is his blood on the cross that invites us to be right with God. The verse says this, he himself is our peace. He has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. He himself is our peace. He has done something that we needed to be done so that we could be right with God. And the verses go on to say, he has made us both one. He has made us both one. Who is he talking about in these verses? Who are the two that have been made one? Well, here the scripture is beginning to paint a picture that the readers or the hearers of this text in the early days when it was first written would be able to see very clearly. What is the picture that's being painted? Well, the Apostle Paul is talking about the divide that is created by self-righteousness. There is a division, there is a hostility that is created by self-righteousness. And the Apostle Paul is specifically communicating how this was taking place among two groups of people at the time he was writing this letter. He's talking first about the religious Jews. 
The religious Jews had this way of believing that they were better than the others around them at the time. After all, they had been given the the law of God and they had the prophets of God. And so many times they would begin to look down their noses at the people who weren't like them. And they would begin to judge or condemn those who were not living according to to their rules. And and, and they would be very self-righteous in their condemnation of those who did not measure up to their standards. Maybe you've encountered people like that before. Maybe you've faced circumstances in your life where someone who was religious was incredibly unkind. Someone who was religious looked at you and was judgmental or condemning. Someone who was religious looked down their nose at you, acting like I'm living better than you because I'm not doing what you're doing or I'm better than you because I'm doing something that you can't do. And that creates division. It creates hostility. The scripture is addressing the reality that self-righteousness among the religious often creates hostility, but at the same time, on the other side, the Apostle Paul is talking about the Gentiles. These are the people who were not considered religious at the time. They they were looked at as outsiders. They were looked at as those who, who could not understand or keep up with the religious law. And many times the Gentiles would look at the religious Jews and they would say, I don't want what you're selling. You can't even live up to that standard. I don't want what you're trying to do. You're a hypocrite. My life is actually better than your life because I do whatever I want. I don't want to be like you. And there was self-righteousness that would be directed right back at the religious. Maybe you've encountered this before. Someone looks at you and the way you're living and what you believe and they mock you. They know you're not perfect and they point it out. They make fun of you for your faith. They belittle you for what you stand for. And it hurts. And it creates division. And it oftentimes creates hostility, self-righteousness, leads to division and hostility. And here's what's interesting to note. A very clear example of where this was demonstrated for both the religious Jews and the irreligious Gentiles was right at the temple in Jerusalem. You see, the temple in Jerusalem was the place where the religious Jews would go to worship. But the temple in Jerusalem was also a place where anyone could come and gather. It was a a place where where items were were sold for for sacrifice. It was a place where, where different types of prayers would be offered. And there was an outer courtyard of the temple that was available to anyone. You did not have to be a religious Jew to go to the outer courtyard. But to enter into the inner court of the temple, the inner courtyard, only the religious Jews could go. And there was a wall that was built between these two courtyards. Back in 1871, some archaeologists were doing a dig in Jerusalem, in Israel. 
They came across a stone that they were able to uncover that was right there at the Temple Mount where the temple used to stand in Jerusalem. And engraved on this stone in both Greek and Hebrew so that anyone who was able to read at the time could understand the inscription, it said this, and this is the translation in English. It said, no man of another race is to proceed within the partition and enclosing wall about the sanctuary. Anyone arrested there will have himself to blame for the penalty of death, which will be imposed as a consequence. How's that for an inviting welcome to a worship service? Hey, if you don't belong here and you enter in here, you will be struck dead and it will be your fault. Welcome to church. What is this all about? This wall where this inscription was placed became known to the people of the wall of hostility. The wall of hostility that separated two groups of people, those who believed they were worthy, those who they said were unworthy, they were separated by the wall of hostility. And what does the Apostle Paul do? The Apostle Paul says there is one who has come to tear down the wall of hostility and thus provide peace. You see, the gospel levels the playing field. And because of the gospel, it's not a battle between those who appear good and those who appear bad. Those who are called worthy and those who are called unworthy. It's not a battle between those who view themselves as clean and those they see as unclean. The religious versus the rebel. No, in the gospel, the message is to every single one of us, you are a sinner in need of a savior. You see, there's another place where this is communicated clearly in a different writing from the Apostle Paul, the letter to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 3, verses 9 and following, he says this, what then, are we Jews any better off? Speaking about, again, the divide between the Jews and the Gentiles. No, he says, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Merry Christmas. Have a great night. We're so thankful you joined us tonight for this message of hope and encouragement. Now please hear this in all seriousness. These verses are life-giving, these verses communicate peace, and these verses demonstrate hope. And here's why. Because these verses say to every single one of us, no matter how hard you try, you cannot be your own savior. 
No matter how hard you try, you cannot live good enough to be acceptable to a holy God. But the good news of the gospel, while it's very clear you can't get to God on your own, is that God came to us. God came to dwell among men. That's what Christmas is all about. Emmanuel, God with us. And he came to tear down the wall of hostility and to be the covering of peace to anyone who will trust in him. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 communicates the gospel as clearly as it can be communicated in one verse of scripture. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, to receive this gift that comes through Jesus Christ, to receive the covering of peace that is offered to those who trust in him, to recognize what God has done for us that we could never do for ourselves is not about trying to perform in such a way that God would call us worthy. No, it is about accepting the perfect performance that has been offered to us by the Prince of Peace. He has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. He has lived a perfect, sinless life, a life you and I could not live no matter how hard we try. And he willingly, sacrificially gave his perfect life at the cross to die in our place, to take the death that we deserve, thus offering us the path to peace. Because through his death on the cross, he defeated sin, and through the power of his resurrection, he offers us the gift of new life through the one who has come to save. We are sinners in need of a Savior. And Christmas shows us that the Savior has come. Ephesians 2 verse 16 says that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And think about the significance of this. Yes, the cross is the place where Jesus died. And we celebrate what Christ has done at the cross in giving his life. But verse 16 of Ephesians 2 is also showing us we get to celebrate so much more when we look to the cross. For the cross is the place where hostility dies. Because the cross is the place where forgiveness is found. We know this to be true. You know this to be true. In relationships, in your family, with those that you've cared about, the only way for there to truly be peace in that relationship is through forgiveness. For forgiveness kills the hostility and forgiveness invites us to peace. 
God has done for us what we could never do for ourselves, killing the hostility between sinful man and a perfect and holy God, thus inviting us to peace, to be covered with the peace that comes from God alone. And we close with this verse in Ephesians 2, 17. Scripture says he, speaking of Jesus, came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Christmas reminds us that the Prince of Peace has come and he has come to preach peace. He is preaching peace to you tonight. Those who are far off, that that may be some of you tonight, where you're thinking to yourself, this is not the place that I really wanted to be on Christmas Eve. Some of you, I know that you're just uncomfortable being in church. Some of you, I know you're only here because your mother-in-law said you don't get dinner unless you come. And we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. And if you're honest, you would say, I, I feel far off. This, this whole church thing, this whole religion thing, this, this is really not my thing. I, I, I feel far off from all of that. The Prince of Peace has come to preach peace to you tonight. He wants you to know that the covering of peace that comes through God alone can be yours if you trust in him. But the scripture also says he came to preach peace to those who were near. Or you could translate this, those who thought they were near. For you see, every time we gather for a church service, there are some among us who are very familiar with church. There are some among us who have spent a lot of time in church. There are some among us who are here every time the church doors are open. And yet if you look at their life Monday through Saturday, you see very little evidence at all of someone who knows the Prince of Peace. If you look at the way they interact with other people, you see very little evidence of what the Scripture would call the fruit of the Spirit. Some of you that have been in church for a long time, you need to hear The Prince of Peace has come to preach peace to you. And if you will truly trust him, I'm not talking about just giving him a nod once a week. If you will truly trust your life to him, he will cover you with peace that you will not find anywhere else in this life. The Prince of Peace has come. And he has come to bring good news of great joy made available to all people that there is the peace of God available to those who will trust in him. Peace on earth is possible for those who trust in the Prince of Peace. So do you trust him? Do you know him? Let me pray for us as we close this message and enter into the very special time 
of lighting candles together to celebrate the good news of Christmas. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is my prayer on this Christmas Eve that those who do not know your peace in a real and personal way will see the invitation that has been made available to them through the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. And they will trust their lives to him. So Lord, we thank you that at Christmas we get to celebrate this gift of peace, this covering of peace that has been made available to all who trust in Jesus. It is my prayer tonight that anyone who does not have this peace would simply say in the quietness of their heart right now, Jesus, I am ready for the peace that you provide. I am ready for my life to be right with God. And I know I can't do that on my own. I need the Savior. And so I'm trusting what you, Jesus, have done for me. And I'm asking you to forgive me because in forgiveness, that is where peace is found. Forgive my sin. Give me the gift of new life. I need this peace. Oh, we praise you, Father God, for coming to dwell among us because we could not get to you on our own. We thank you for the Prince of Peace who has come to offer us what our souls long for. I pray that as we leave this place tonight in this beautiful celebration of Christmas, that we would leave in the peace of God, leave as peacemakers, peace distributors, peace demonstrators because of what Christ has done. We thank you for the gift of peace found in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.